we are in our series entitled Rhythm, and the reason we chose this is because we started looking at those within our church after interacting with several different people. We started realizing that people are trying to pursue this thing called a balanced life, and we see people today trying to just run themselves ragged, and they talk, we, we talk about having the peace of God, but yet when we look at our everyday lives, we don't seem to have that peace at all whatsoever. It's this peace where I have peace, and yet they're completely frazzled. And everyone's running at this fren- just this uh, frenetic pace where they, they don't seem to be able to slow down and stop. And, it, and part of it's our culture. Part of it is ourselves and how we understand the world. And we have this illusion that we can do everything at this moment um, without any understanding of repercussions, and we can just get it in. And part of it is just how this world has sold it to us is that we can have everything and do everything right now. And that's not what the Bible shows us. The Bible says that there is a season for everything. There is a time and there is a season. And God has come to give us peace, not just peace with God, but the shalom of God, which is something that is all-inclusive, that comes over, excuse me, the entirety of our, our lives. It's peace with God, it's peace with our fellow man, and it's peace with ourselves. And so when we go outside of the boundaries of God's word and we try to start doing everything in the world, we get out of rhythm. See, balance implies being static or stationary, and life has ebbs and flows and ins and outs. And if we're to have the true shalom of God, this peace, this wholeness that is seen over all of us, then we need to make sure that we are looking and seeking to place all of our lives under the lordship of Christ as revealed within his word. And we see that today, we're going to be seeing that within the topic of marriage. Now, I understand that there are many in this room that are not married. Uh, there are some that are quite young, but one day they will probably get married. There's others that are, are um, they're dating. There's others that have been married and divorced. There's others that are widowed. Um, we, we understand all that. But we also understand that the principles of God's word stand true, and everyone needs to understand what marriage is, whether it's for you or it's for your brother or sister or a relative, that you can speak to the truth of it, Um, or make sure that you are applying it, as we all should be, the truth of God's Word to our everyday lives. And as I was thinking about this message, talking about the topic of marriage, I I can't but help think of my own marriage. I mean, I I can't think outside of that. My wife and I will be be married next, uh, this next month for 13 years. 13 years, yeah. You need to applaud for her. (laughs) Applaud her. Uh, She took up her cross and uh, daily. Um, but it's, it's, uh, I look at my own marriage, and I'm reminded of this uh, kind of a date night. Uh, when I was pastoring in Massachusetts, we were blessed to have a young man and his wife who were training at the seminary nearby, and he had gone to the University of Georgia, and he had been uh, a professional ballroom instructor. So one night, we decided, in our bright ideas of ministry, to have a couple's dance night date night, where couples were going to learn how to ballroom dance. All right, now, we were a Baptist church. To get a lot of Protestant Baptists to dance is not easy to do. So we, we lined up with one another, and I had taken some dance when I was younger. And my wife has a lot of rhythm, so I thought, we're going to be great. You learn a lot about yourself and your marriage when you're dancing together. Because you not only need to know, I mean, what do you need to know, first of all? You, you had, well, rhythm, right, of course, but you need to know the steps. 
You need to know the steps. You need to know who's leading, who's following. That's one of the biggest things right there because someone tries to lead, the other one follows. That's not a pretty dance. So you need to have someone lead, someone follow. You need to know the steps, and then you need to be in rhythm. Because you can know the steps and be out of rhythm. Or you can be in rhythm and not do the steps. And we need all of those in place. And God's word has given us the steps. We need to make sure that we are finding that rhythm together. Because when we started off, we had, you know, it was her stepping on my feet, not me stepping on her feet. um, Because I have more rhythm than she does. Right. Um, But it took us a while to learn, to work together. And that's what marriage is about, working together for the glory of God that his name might be seen in and through us. So I want us to really jump into this text. And I, I, we're going to try to walk through this uh, pretty quickly. And we're going to be going through Ephesians 5, 23 through verse, or 22 through verse 23. And the first thing that I want us all to see here is that we need to be making marriage work. Because see, it's, it, it's the adage, it takes two to tango. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the tango. I have no idea how to tango. But I do know the expression, it takes two to tango, right? I mean, it takes two to dance. And you've got to learn those steps. You've got to learn the rhythm. And for us today, in order for us to make marriage work, we have, to, we have to go to God's word to make it work. We see what God has for us in mind. We need his blueprint. He's created the dance. We need to learn his steps and, and follow his rhythm. Because there is a war and so much confusion about marriage today in our culture that it is unbelievable. And, and, I, and people think, well, we're being liberated. The family is a complete disarray. There's more and more people that need help, that have the scars, that they bear upon their souls through their parents messing something up or through a divorce or through some type of sin in their life. Now, I'm not saying you can have a perfect marriage and you're going to have perfect children. God is the perfect parent, and we are his children, and we rebel. But I do believe that the, 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 the quickest way and the smoothest way to blessing is following his word. Now, if us, for us to understand marriage and get his blueprint, we have to go back to the very first marriage, and that was in the book of Genesis. Now, we see Genesis highlighted in our passage today. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's giving them some clarity because they were confused about what marriage was. Now, I want us to look at our text for today in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, uh, Gloria read for us, and she talks about, she read verse 23, but I want us to look at 24, 25. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But continue on. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, sanctify her, uh, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ is the church, because we are members of his body. Now, here's the, the verse that's pointing back to Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And as we hear pastors say so often, they say, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder, put asunder. So what we understand here is that if we're to make marriage work, we have to understand that God put marriage together. God put marriage together. God created it. 
It's an institution. It's his invention. And it's not determined by the courts. It's not a social contract. It's created by God himself in covenant. It's a very serious thing. So we understand that it is something that God has put together. Now the second thing here is we see that it involved a husband and wife who were partners. Who are partners. Now, though we saw it says that a man, uh, a woman, shall, a wife shall submit to her husband there, there, that text has been used so often as terms of spiritual abuse. I've seen and heard of men who have used this to put down or demean or abuse their wife. That's not what the text is referring to, especially when the man is to love his wife as Christ loved his church and Christ never beat his church. He didn't abuse his church. See, Satan likes to distort the word of God. So we need to make sure that we understand that God created male and female. And was woman created from the man's foot as he would rule over her? Or from his head that she would be bigger and better than him? It was from his side because there was inequality between the two. Men and women are, 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 are equal in the sight of God with different roles that God has put in place. But remember, the distortions of the fall cause us to rebel in different ways. So that's why we always have to go back to the Word of God. And for some, these roles are natural. Others, they buck at it because that's how original sin exhibits itself in their life. So we need to understand that men and women are partners. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall uh, become one flesh. Now, marriage, as it was debated in the Supreme Court, what is the point of marriage? And someone came up with this, and they said it was for children, and they were almost laughed out of the courtroom. But according to the Scripture, marriage has a purpose. Now, there's two. Two purposes that I can think of off the top of my mind, off of my head. This is, the first one is, man, it is good for man not to be alone. So the first is companionship. Companionship. I don't think I have that in your notes. And the second one is for children. Children. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, says this. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. But go back. See, it's with a portion of the Spirit in their union, understanding that when a man and woman come together and this spiritual union taking place results in the creation of a new individual that should be about love. Now, it's a shame today in our world that we see the opposite taking place. Remember this, the phrase used to be love and marriage? Love and marriage go together like a... Horse and carriage, right? And then we'd, we'd or little kids say it on the playground. They say, like, for instance, they'd say, uh, you know, um, how do they say it when they, um, yeah, first comes love, then comes, and then comes the, is that the order today? In our world. You don't even have to have love. You don't have to have marriage. We've got a lot of baby carriages. And, and we all know that. We've all, some of us in this room, we've made those mistakes. Okay? We've, we've all sinned. No one in this room is without sin. Let me say that straight up. 
If you've done it right and someone else has done it wrong, I guarantee that you've got some other sin in your life. And we all need forgiveness. We all need grace. So let's get that out of the way right now. Because it's easy to throw stones. But make sure that when you're throwing a stone, you're getting a stone thrown at you. So we understand, though, that there needs to be, there is God's standard, though, that we've all fallen short of. And we all seek to go back to his standard as we seek his love and his grace. So we need to make sure of that, that it does have a purpose, having children as God allows. So it is companionship, and it is for children. And it was to be permanent. Now, it's interesting, as just because it's been in the culture, we've been talking about the topic of, of gay marriage, that it's inescapable, what website you go to or what newspaper that you open. And so often, gay marriage advocates cite all of the, the horrible marriages in the world as their means saying, what's the problem with us getting married when you look at Britney Spears and her 26-hour marriage or a Kim Kardashian, and they cite all of these horrible marriages, which are straw men meaning that they are easily knocked down because they themselves, those marriages are also wrong in that it is to be a permanent thing. Now, people say, well, you know, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? I don't care what the world does. God's word will stand true till the end of time. And we all must recognize and place ourselves under the authority of his word, even when it speaks judgment and truth and it hurts in our own lives. So it is to be permanent. And there's only three times, three, three instances where I see uh, a marriage union, union uh, ending. Number one is the death of a spouse. We see this in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. The second time that you see any type of uh, dissolution of that union is in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. I don't have it up there. But that's by desertion of an unbelieving spouse. And the third instance is defiling of the marriage bond through unrepentant, excuse me, sexual immorality, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Now, even though those are concessions, they're not commands. They're concessions, not commands. Meaning that it's not something where you can go, oh, they did this, I'm out. No, it's a concession. The intent is to be permanent fixture. They say, well, God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be holy. And when you're holy, the happiness comes. Don't put happiness before holiness. Put holiness before happiness. That's the order that God seeks. And we find true joy and happiness when we are being obedient to His Word. I know that speaking of this is not easy for some people because of how... The, the political, it's a political hot-button issue, and people blatantly disregard it, whether it's just these, we see the, all of the things outside of the covenant of marriage, whether it's uh, homosexuality, whether it's uh, divorce, so it's so rampant, whether it's people that are cohabitating or living together in that instance, we understand that Scripture is very clear, that marriage is to be held in honor by all. As Hebrews thirteen fourteen says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. See, we have to make sure that we understand and go back to the reality of it. It's not just a piece of paper that indicates someone is married. 
It's not just a contract where you walk in before the justice of the peace and they give it to you. It is not that. It's so much more because it is a picture, as we see in Ephesians 5, of Jesus and his church. It is a deep and spiritual picture because in the picture of Jesus and his church, we see the triune God having a relationship with man. And remember, within the Trinity, we see unity and diversity, and only in marriage is that truly exhibited and seen. Because we see men and a man and woman that are different coming together in their diversity with unity, which is God, a picture of God Himself and the relationship that He seeks with man, unity and diversity. So we must make sure that we are seeing and understanding the purity of that marriage. It is to be a spiritual picture of Jesus and his church. The word in Greek in verse 32, this mystery, is mysterion. It means secret, mysterious, and denotes something that is deeper or, or has a hidden sense to it. It's exactly what God wants us to understand, that it's not a social contract, that it is a covenant, and that it is to be pure and be permanent, and it has a purpose to it. Now, uh, moving on, looking at it, we understand that marriage is difficult. It takes work. It's not easy. Everyone thinks that they're just going to get married and it's going to be great. And, they, and my, my wife and my daughter like to watch these marriage shows where they get ready for the marriage, the wedding day. They have all these dresses and they have, and I hate these shows, but <laughs> I absolutely hate these shows. I, I'd rather eat rusty nails. Um, and they watch these shows, and they all cry, and these women are getting ready for their big day. And, and I'm always like, I want to see this show about the marriage itself. How about getting ready for the marriage itself? Let's talk about that, because that's a day, and it's over. The rest of the time is where the problems are. Let's talk about that, because it does take work. And it's, it, ta- it doesn't take a genius or Einstein to realize that men and women are created differently. Look back at your passage. It was a man and a what? A woman, a man and a woman. And men and women are different. Men are from? Women are from? Why do we say that? Because we are different, and delightedly so. My wife wears outfits. I don't even know if I have an outfit. I have my wife dress me most days. Okay, seriously, I have like, a few pair of shoes. I don't need a pair of shoes to go with my outfits. Men and women are different, right? And it's a good thing. It's a good thing that men and women are wired differently the way that God has made us. Now, here are some of the ways that they're different. Men and women are different physically. Men and women are different physically. They handle different things. Men have a tendency to be, tendency to be stronger physically, which is the reason why I'm the one who opens the pickle jar. Okay? Men and women are also different emotionally. Emotionally. Women are intuitive at knowing what other people are struggling with. Men are, for the most part, we're pretty clueless. We are. Women are much more in tune with their emotions. Men, not that we don't have emotions, but women are more emotional than men are, in a good way. We're also different spiritually. And what that means is that we have different roles that God has placed us in. The man, the husband, is to be the leader of the home. Now, it doesn't mean he's better. It doesn't mean he's smarter. It means he holds a position that God has put him in place. 
And a woman is to submit to that. It's just like when the police officer comes, and you know that police officer is a jerk, but you submit to him. Why? Because he has the authority. He has the position. So we must make sure that we're recognizing the position that one another has, and not lording it over, but in a humble, servant way. And we have different roles and responsibilities. We also have different relational needs. Relational needs. This is why Peter says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And that which I always find funny because it's the one thing that men don't do very well. We don't understand women. Men. Yeah. Okay. But it is. Women have different relational needs than men do. That's why women get together and they talk. I don't know why we do, they do that. Guys don't get together and talk. We like to beat each other and call each other fat and bald and all those things. Men do that. At least they do that to me. Okay? But and guys usually get together and it's something competitive. Like to play golf or table tennis or, I mean, guys are competitive. We had an elder meeting a while back where we had the, the teenage there from the Aurora Mission trip. We had our elders playing dodgeball. Got 60 some year old guys out there just flinging it as hard as they can. You don't see too many 60 some year old women out there doing that. And not to say that they couldn't. <laughs> it's just there's, there's a difference in men and women. And we need to make sure that we are aware of that. We have different relational needs. That's why Peter or Paul was writing, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, because you need to show that love to her. And it's interesting how he ends that off. He says, Love your wife, and wife, do what to your husband? Respect. A man needs respect. When I, and, and I've mentioned this before, when I was working in the inner city of Chicago, I had gangbangers come into my youth ministry. And I gave one rule real quick, and I let them know this really fast. I would say, you respect me, I respect you. It's a two-way street. And they understood that. As soon as I mentioned the language of respect, they understood. And I had no problems. I never had a problem with a gangbanger. Not once. Because it was the issue of Respect. There's something about respect that, um, that in, is intuitive to a man. Just like, not that women don't need respect. Women do need to be respected and treated with honor. Honor. And what that means is, is, is loving, going outside of, treasuring like a sacred object that's so special and has a wonderful use. Men, you're to be treating your wife that way. Honoring her, loving her. Making sure that you're trying to fulfill her relational needs as she's trying to fulfill yours. Now, both men and women have conjugal needs, physical needs. Physical needs. God has created us as sexual beings. And when in the context of marriage, it's the best that it is. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect. It takes work. But it's a very important part of marriage. We have conjugal needs. Men and women are different that way. It's been said that men are microwaves and women are crockpots. I've heard that a different amount of time. It's so true. But both have physical needs. Sometimes we say it's just the men has physical needs. No, women have physical needs too. But again, it's the give and it's the take. It's considering one another and communicating to one another. And the scripture talks about it. God has created it and he's given us his word to understand how it is to function. Now, now that we have some of those things out of the way, we need to go back to the Word of God and say, how can we be then navigating the marriage waters successfully? 
navigating the marriage waters successfully. How can we put all this together? Well, first of all, it, needs, it means that we need to be um, understanding how we can navigate the various life stages. When, when Paul says, love your wife as Christ loves his church, it's, it's trans time. It goes beyond the ages, but we also understand how ages do affect us. We have different life stages in which we find our self. Now, we've talked about this, and this series is about looking at time in two different ways biblically. There's chronos time, and there's, what's the other time we've talked about? Kairos, kairos. Chronos is the cyclical time that repeats itself, the seasons that come in and out all the time. Then you have kairos are the moments that we have to seize in time. And we have to understand that life stages and seasons of life affect both of these things. That's why the Bible talks about it. But in our world today, it is at war with this understanding of seasons and life stages and says everything can happen now, which is why, one of the reasons why, by the way, we have young couples getting into exorbitant amount of debt because they think that they can have now what it took their parents 30 years to get. Because we've, we've trumped the life stage. And we say, we can have it all now, right now. And I can have this job, and I can have these kids, and I can do this recreation all right now. And that's not what the Scripture says. There is a time and there is a season. So we need to make sure that we are doing and understanding that, that we have different life stages. We have life stages of infancy, adolescence, preteen, teen, young adult, adult, single adult, married adult, childbearing, rearing, childbearing and rearing years. There's the empty nest, there's retirement, and then there's death. And if we're to navigate the waters of life successfully, it means having the right priorities. If we're going to get through these marital waters as we go through the different life stages in which we find ourselves, we have to make sure that we have the right priorities. I was speaking with a woman just this past week who her and her husband have been separated for about a year. I don't know. Actually, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been uh, since he's gone through the midlife crisis. And he had to understand, what it is, what do I do now? What is my life? What, am I, what is my meaning? Is this all that there is? And, and it, it, he had his priorities all screwed up. You have to understand what your priorities are. The scripture lays it out. Priority is God, family, and then spouse and children in that. And then you, you, could, uh, you have career, you also have friends, and then it gets into the hobbies and all of those other things. And the, the priorities is what gets first billing in our life. That's why, that's why Paul says, love, Jesus, love, we're to love our wives as Christ loved his church. That's the intimacy of that relationship that he desires us to have. It has to be a priority. It was Jesus' priority to love his church, to show his love for his church, to give himself, to present her spotless, without wrinkle and pure. He was dedicating himself for his church, and so must we. So we need to have the right priorities. Priorities. We also need to have the right perspective. Perspective is everything. For those that have the children in their home right now, and I see a lot of guys just saying, I can work so much, and then I'll have time for the kids later. We've talked about that. That doesn't happen. Kids grow up. They're gone. I have never once in my life, and I've stood at the casket of a lot of different people, I've stayed at the bed of seeing people take their last breath. And I've never once, not once, have I er ever heard anyone say that they wish they could have spent more time at the office. But I have heard people say, I wish I could go back and do it differently with my family. 
and make it right with God. Death is a way of clarifying everything. So we need to make sure that we have the right priorities and the right perspective. And then we need to make sure that we have the right plan. Plan. Now, what I mean by that is this. Um, it is not wrong to plan. When I was a new believer, I remember reading certain scriptural passages that seemed to make it bad to plan. But it's good to plan. Because I, I thought it was pride if I was planning. I was just to trust every God for every, every day. But we are to plan. Um, not making it a prideful plan, but a plan where we, we look forward to the future and as God allows we give it to a certain direction. This is what the Proverbs states. Proverbs 21 and 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So the point there is the plan of the diligent. The diligent has plan. Plans of the future and how we should live and lead. And, and we should have that for our families as much as we can. We know there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. We should always be planning with God in mind, looking to the future, knowing that there is a different life stage that is coming, and we need to anticipate that and plan accordingly. Here's, an idea, here's what I mean by that. Here's the next proverb I want you to see. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Now listen to that. He's got an inheritance that he's leaving for the next generation. Have you thought about what you're leaving the next generation? What are you leaving for your kids? If you were to die, parents, what would your kids remember of you? What would they remember? And I'm not saying they need to be remembering wealth, but they're remembering that you cared enough to leave a legacy. What's the legacy that you're leaving? See, that's part of planning for the future is understanding how I'm going to live my life now with hope that they'll remember this. I always wanted in my tombstone the words of, that come to Enoch. He walked with God. That's it. That's what I want my kids to know. Nothing else. That I love them and I love God. So we need to make sure that we are planning now, if we're to find a rhythm, that it also requires us learning, us learning how to navigate the different seasons of life. The different seasons of life. See, loving as Christ loved his church, and a man shall leave his father and his mother, he is leaving one stage of life behind, and he's moving on to another stage of life. And then we have the different seasons of life. Now, what I mean by that is this. Stages move on from adolescence, as we just talked about. Seasons are the time where we keep repeating itself. You know, we've talked about this in sports. You've got off-season, pre-season, season, and then you've got postseason or playoffs. Now, many of us, though, are in jobs where we don't, we're, we're going all the time. It's like playing that violin string. If Vicky were to be up here and play that one note over and over, the completely taught what's going to happen to it. It's going to snap. Many of us are living lives that way, but that's not what God intended. We need to make sure that we are, we are planning to take times of rest, and we need to make sure that we are finding our stride. What is our rhythm in the season of life that we have right now? If this is the season which you are raising small children, then you need to be making under, understanding you're not going to get to the gym all the time. Make sense? If this is the time where you're going to be planning for retirement, it's going to look different. Or if you're a grandparent, you've got time on your hands now to leave a legacy to your children or grandchildren. Or if you're a single, this is the time that you can use to 
I mean, for the Lord to make his kingdom known. And identify these, not just different stages, but seasons. Are you in a busy season right now in your job? Or in your home, in your family? Are you building in times of rest? Or is this a time of sacrifice for you? See, that's the other thing. It's not only finding our stride, but identifying times of sacrifice. See, there, I hear different parents say, I'm sacrificing right now for my kids. And their kids never see them. And they're in those, that young stage. And you can't get those back. And I see them years later, and they're still going in that same cycle as saying their sacrifices. You know, that sacrificial, sacrificial time has to have a time of ending. See, when my wife and I, when, when I was in seminary, she understood at that moment in time, that was a time of sacrifice. Where I wouldn't be there all the time because I was studying and doing this. But that's, that time of sacrifice had to end. And it could be different for you in your life. That time of sacrifice. But you have to, you know, you have to understand that can't continue on forever. You have to have that time of sacrifice, recognize it, but then understanding that it has to come to an end. We have those moments in life where we will have to sacrifice. Just like right now, men are sacrificing time away from their families to get our lower level up to snuff, which is okay, and it's for a season. But if it was for all the time, every time, then we have a problem. See, it's for a season. And thirdly, lastly, we need to make sure that we are creating specific moments of rest creating specific moments of rest. See, if we're going to find our rhythm in our married life, we have to understand that there are life stages and there are personal seasons, and there has to be a time where we can retreat to be together to cultivate that relationship. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go away for a weekend, but you need to find time to be together, to communicate together. What's the number one reason for divorce for people in our, in our country? Well, money is one of them. Actually, number two. Number one? Communication. Anyone that's worked in any organization, the number one thing and the number one problem is always communication. It's hard to communicate with one another. But we need to make sure that we are working on it. And if I'm to love my wife as Christ loved his church, then I have to communicate and care and show concern and, and listen. We need to make sure that we are building those times of rest where we can come together. I know of a couple right now, they're in the child-rearing years, and both of them work. And it's, it's a very difficult cycle, and they can barely find time for one another. So they decided to have a date time, but the problem is, is their dad works nights. So they take a date at 7 a.m. Doesn't sound like a lot of date. Don't know how many restaurants have a great meal, romantic place at IHOP. But they got to find the time. Now, as we're talking about this, we need to understand that it does... That life is a dance. And we need to find our rhythm. Because when we find our rhythm, we find peace. There's something about watching something completely in rhythm and fluid moves that gives you peace and joy. The same is true in our married life. See, God, God sent His Son, our Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And then give us His peace. A peace of not striving, a, per, a peace uh, of of God that is seen in a wholeness where all of life is placed under His authority where we can find fullness of shalom and His presence walking with Him. That's what it means. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, help us to find our rhythm. Lord, we do know that in order for a marriage to work, it does take two to tango. 
Lord, help us to see and come together in all of the ways that you have designed through your word with all of our differences, this unity and diversity so that your name might receive glory. And Lord, help us to see the, the peace that we can have as a couple. But furthermore, Lord, let us see the peace that we can have with you when our life, life is lived in submission to you. Lord, help us not to hold on to our pride, but to repent of our sins, to continually come back to you again and again, recognizing that you are the Lord of our lives. And Lord, if there's someone here today who hasn't yet trusted in you, that I pray that they might surrender their life, they might receive you and understand what you have done on their behalf, that, that he gave himself for them, that they might be saved. And Lord, help each one of us to not only live in this newness of life that we profess, but help us to truly have the peace, not just give lip service to it, but by the integrity and the truth of our life, lives show the reality of our walk with you as we seek to place every aspect and part of our life under your lordship that your name might receive glory. Lord, we all know that we've sinned. We all know that uh, we have struggled and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And Lord, I pray that your mercy and your grace might be evident to us, that we might be merciful to those who are struggling, who are going through these difficult times right now in their married or their relational life, or those who want to be married or those who, who are just struggling in every which way. Lord, I pray that you give them hope. Let them know that you are the God who changes lives, that you are the God who can take that which was destitute and make it, make it thrive. So Lord, I do pray that your name might be seen among us as we, for those who are married, live lives that are truly representative of the truth that we espouse. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.